following message was given by Raymond Goodlett, Sunday, May 21st, at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Looking around, I feel like I, I know, or at least have met most of you, but for those who don't know me, my name is Raymond, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's great to be with you here this morning. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. If you're using one of the pew Bibles in front of you, it's going to be on page 530. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 27. And then I'm going to ask you to mark your Bibles also to two other places. The first of those is on page 291 in that pew Bible. It's going to be 1 Kings chapter 11. And then the second place is in page 367. And that's going to be 2 Chronicles chapter 12. I'll, I'll come to that in a little bit. Uh, but you can mark your Bible there. So we're, we're going to be most of our time in Proverbs chapter 4 on page 530 in the pew Bible. And then we'll also visit page 291 and page 367. Let me just start by reading our main passage in Proverbs chapter 4. And then I'll pray after that and then tell you the rest of what we'll, we'll plan to do. Proverbs chapter 4 beginning in verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear... To my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. And put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Let's pray. Father, help us to do Help us to do now what you just said. Help us to be attentive to your words. To really, really listen to your words. As if our lives depended upon them. Because they do. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Pardon my voice. It, it, it's not much to begin with, but it's even worse this morning. I, I feel better than I sound. I've been battling some stuff all week, but I'm, I'm actually turning the corner. Um, I, I can remember there were these moments growing up where my dad would take my three brothers and me and he would sit us down for one of his life lessons or lectures, depending on, you know, what side of the, the lecture you are on there. And there was this one that stands out. That really stands out. And, and so he, he sat us all down. My, my three brothers and I had gotten into quite a bit of conflict that day. I mean, that wasn't a rare thing, but this one was really bad. And it was bad enough that we could tell our dad was angry. You know, he, that's true. He was angry. 
But this was a different kind of anger. And maybe you've seen this in your parents as well as you were growing up. But he didn't lead so much with his anger. You could tell from his tone and his demeanor, he was actually more disappointed or sad, concerned than he was angry. And, and as a kid, that was always the worst. Like, we'd rather him just be angry than be that disappointed. But he, he sat us down rather calmly, which was scary all by itself, sat us down really calmly. And then he went off by himself into the kitchen. And, you know, I can't remember exactly how old we were, but we were too old at this point to get a spanking, uh, which means we were pretty old, because when you have Jamaican parents, you gotta be pretty old <laughs> to be too old to get a spanking, right? <clears throat> so he goes off to the kitchen and he comes back. Now we, we knew we weren't gonna get a spanking, but we, we knew we deserved some sort of discipline or punishment for what we had done. And so he comes back from the kitchen with one of those little plastic cylinders full of toothpicks. And we kind of looked at each other and thought, there's no way. <laughs> I mean, you can't do that in America, can you? There's no way he's gonna poke us with these toothpicks. <laughs> and uh, so of course he wasn't going to. He, he took out one. And he handed it to my older brother, Rohan, who's a year older than me, and he said, break it. And Rohan hesitated, kind of like, you know, now he said, no, no, go ahead, break it. And so really easily, Rohan snapped a toothpick, and then my dad emptied that cylinder of toothpicks. He, it must have been hundreds of toothpicks. He put them in his hand, and he said, now, now break all of those. Keep them together and break them. So Rohan tried, he tried to, and thinking back on it, it was kind of gross. He put his grubby hands all over those toothpicks. But he tried his best to break them and couldn't. And so my, my dad stopped at that point and he just said, listen, you guys need each other. You know, our chances of survival and succeeding in this life are gonna be much greater if we actually value each other and guard the unity that we have as a family as opposed to fighting each other. And lesson learned, you know, that, at least that day, <laughs> lesson learned. Now, I, I mention that because what we have here in Proverbs chapter 4 on the simplest level is a dad talking to his son. And he's trying to pass some wisdom on to him that's going to help him in life if he listens. On a much deeper and, and I think more important level, what we have is, is God speaking to all of us as his children. And out of a, a, a place of fatherly concern, he's trying to pass a, 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 a message on to us, a lesson on to us, if you will. And, and that lesson is this. More than anything else, you might try to guard or protect. Guard your heart. The, the part of you, not, not just the, the heart or the, you know, the, the, the organ in your body, but the part of you, Proverbs means here, that controls everything you think, everything you believe, all of your deeply held convictions, your entire worldview, everything you feel, everything you choose to do. Everything you desire to have and everything you want to become. Your heart. Guard it with all vigilance. Guard it more than you would guard anything else. And before we actually walk through the passage here now in, chapter, in Proverbs chapter 4, I mentioned those other two places. Here's what I want to do. 
The dad who's talking in this passage is King Solomon. The son he's speaking to is Rehoboam, the next in line to the throne to be king in Israel. What I'm going to do now is we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about both Solomon and Rehoboam as they neared the end of their lives. And here's what it says about Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for, here's why, surely they will turn your heart away after other gods. <clears throat> So just as a side note, it, it wasn't, the prohibition here was not, as some have said throughout history, because of a difference in ethnicity. That wasn't the case. It was because of the spiritual danger. They would turn your heart after other gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For Solomon, when he was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Final paragraph about Solomon's heart. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. So King Rehoboam grew strong in Jerusalem and reigned. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite, and he did evil. Why? For he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. So here we have the final paragraph, in a sense, about the heart of Solomon as he reached about the age of 70 before he passed on. As Rehoboam is, is progressing through his 40s and 50s, we hear that he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Earlier on in their life, they were in Proverbs chapter 4. And Solomon is speaking as a king. He's speaking to his son who will be king after him. A young Rehoboam. And the thing that, that really was pressed upon me this week as I prayed for us, prayed for me, prayed for our time and prepared here is that if you listen to Proverbs chapter 4 closely, both the one speaking and the one listening failed to guard their hearts as Proverbs 4 mentions. So here we are today, here I am speaking, telling us that we need to guard our hearts. Here you are listening. If God were to write a final paragraph about our hearts one day, what would it say? What would happen between now and then? I, I submit to you this morning, <clears throat> I think a good part of that has to do with how well we listen today. Not to me, or to, 
but to God and to his word. Let me pray one more time and then we'll, we'll begin. We'll start in verse 33 and I'll show you first of all what it does not say. Then we'll look at what it does say. And then we'll go through the surrounding context just to see how God practically helps us to guard our hearts with all vigilance. Father, help us as we listen. Let your word be alive to us. Let it go down deep into our hearts. Change us in the way that you desire for us to be changed. We ask this through the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Look at your Bibles real quick. Proverbs 4.23. And it's interesting. I'm telling you to look at your Bibles. But I am telling you to look at your Bibles for what you will not see. Notice what God does not say in verse 23. He does not say, follow your heart. Now, you will hear that quite often in this world. People who are well-intentioned, want to give you good advice about how you should go through your life as a young person, especially. Follow your heart. You want to know why God will never say that to you? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. That's why God will never say that to you. You You know what it says there? Here's God's word and his assessment about our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? That's your heart and mine. Deceitful and desperately wicked. Now, now, if you are lost, if you are lost somewhere out here, let's just say in the city of Richmond, couldn't find your way out, out of a paper bag if we gave you a map. You were just lost. You didn't know where you were going, but you needed to get somewhere. And, and, and I said to you, you know what? I got what you need. You see that guy right there? <clears throat> just follow him. I'll tell you something about that guy. He is deceitful and desperately wicked. <laughs> he'll, he'll point you in the right direction. <laughs> Would you follow that guy? Would you look at me and say, oh, thank you so much, sir. That's exactly the kind of guy I've been looking for. You would never do that, would you? No, you, you, would, think, you, would, think you, were, you would think you were crazy to follow that person. Yet, if I look at you today and I tell you to follow your heart, you'll think I'm giving you good advice. It's no less ludicrous, right? Following your heart, if you understand what your heart is really like, is one of the worst things you'll ever do. I mean, just by a show of hands. If you've ever followed your heart at some point in the past and it didn't work out so well, just, just raise your hand for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. For those of you who can't see everybody in the room the way I can, that's pretty much everybody over the age of 14. Okay? And the rest of them will be there with us one day. No, God does not say to follow your heart or to trust your heart. Here's what he does say. Look, look now, now really look at it. He says, keep your heart or guard your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. That's the ESV, the, the New International Version. The NIV says it this way. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The New Living Translation, I, I, I like what it says, at least here. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
Put all those together or, or take one of them. They're all pretty much saying the same thing. Keep or guard, protect your heart and do it with all vigilance. Be alert. <coughs> be alert. Never let there be a moment where you're not aware of this and the need to guard your heart. And, and, and as, I, as I got ready to do this this morning, it, this, this is one of those places where just, just being honest, I'd like to see more progress in my own life. With the consistency and the vigilance. I, I can't stand here this morning and tell you I never guard my heart or I don't guard my heart at all. That, that wouldn't be true. That would be like a, a fake attempt at humility. But what I can say is that I actually think I am more vigilant, that I'm more alert uh, or more ready to protect certain other things that I value to one degree or another. And I'll give you a couple examples. Here's what I mean. And, and maybe some of you can relate to things like this. These aren't bad things, right? But I'm just saying I, I find myself to be more vigilant and more consistent in guarding, protecting these things. So one is, is my home. Now, now clearly, my family, when everybody's there, but I've noticed that even when everyone else is gone, I'm leaving and I'm, and I'm leaving the house, I lock the door. Well, except for the, the two times Heather has recently pointed out where I, I didn't lock the door. But <clears throat> I usually, rather consistently, lock the door. Then I think I said, what about the other 5,307 times? So I usually lock the door. Because we, we have things there that we value and, and we understand there's a very real threat that someone could go in there and try to take some of those things, right? So theft is a real possibility. We value what's in there, we'll lock the door. There's a reason we have locks on our doors. I, I've noticed that I'm pretty diligent to pay all of our bills on time. Again, I don't have a perfect record, but for the most part, I'm very, very consistent with paying our bills on time. Why? It's not just because it's the right and honorable thing to do, which it is, right? If I've voluntarily entered into something and I have debt now, whatever I've received and exchanged, and I said, give me that now, I'll pay for it a little bit later, I've promised to do that, then I should be the one that, that repays that debt. And so the Bible says that, owe no one anything except the continuing debt to love one another. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue, right? So whatever we owe, if we're Christians and we're following that course through life, we ought to be the ones to repay our own debts. Someone can voluntarily be generous and do that for us, and that would be great. Right? But I'm not going to demand that everybody else pay my debts. Okay? But in any case, I'm very diligent with paying these debts off. The, the thing that most drives me, though, and I think I wish it were the, it's just the right and honorable and biblical thing to do. The thing that most drives me is I really guard and value and want to protect our, our name, our credit, our standing, because... That impacts your ability to do various things. If I'm honest, that's, that's a lot of what's driving me, is the fear that that will be downgraded. So it's not wrong, again, it's not wrong to guard and protect these things. Even Proverbs 22 will tell us a good name is to be preferred to riches and all that kind of thing. It's not wrong to, to want to do any of these things, to guard and protect them. I'm a little concerned, though, as I take stock of my own heart and I, and I look and I see, do, 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 am I this diligent with my heart? For instance, if, if, if you, 
you could take our credit statement, right, our credit card statement in any given month, and it lists all these different things. If there's something on that statement that doesn't belong there, Heather and I will find it. Right? I, I, don't, I don't think a month or two months will go by. If, we, if there's something there that doesn't belong on there, we'll find it. And I, I really I have to ask myself, do I search my heart that way? Hear, hear me on this. Am I as consistent and diligent with my heart, which, which is of much greater value to God? Do I search my heart to see if there's anything in there that doesn't belong there, that's found its way in? How long would it take before I notice it? Do I realize that my harsh words are trying to tell me something about what's happened and what's gotten into my heart? Because Jesus said it this way, Matthew 12, 20, 20, 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. The mouth just doesn't speak on its own. It speaks out of the abundance or overflow of the heart. That's true of my mouth. I hate to admit it, but it is true of my mouth. And my mouth is my biggest problem. I, well, my heart is my biggest problem, but you all understand what I mean. My mouth is what shows me my biggest problem. For some of you, I, I don't think that's the case for you. It is the case for me. But do I realize that it, I'm, God's trying to show me something? Why do you respond that way? I'd like to tell myself the reason I respond the way that I do sometimes is because of what somebody else said or, or the way they said it, but that's just, just not true. It's just not true. Somebody else could do exactly what they did in the same way that they did it. If my heart were different and more prepared for that, my response could be a lot more godly. And that's what I want. I'm, I'm 46 years old now, and we're, we're almost halfway through this year. I, I, I really want to look back at the end of this year, and I want to say, Lord, it looks like you've made some real progress that even I can notice in this one area of my life. And so, <clears throat> for some of you, that might be the exact same area of your life that God is highlighting the most. For others of you, it will be something else. Um, but I, I, I want to encourage each of us to take some time and say, Lord, if you had to choose one area of my life right now that you would most want to highlight for me, what would that be? What would that be? And what would it mean for me <clears throat> to, be, to be vigilant, to be consistent, uh, working with your Holy Spirit to see noticeable, noticeable progress in my life in that area, right? So that's what God is saying. He, he's saying be vigilant or diligent in guarding or protecting your heart. And now let's look at the surrounding context. How, how does God practically try to help us to do that here? First, here's what I'll say. First, God wants us to guard our hearts or protect our hearts by what we put into it. Look at verse 20 through 22 wants us to protect it from the inside by what we put in. It says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. 
Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Be attentive to my words. Fill your heart with my words. The people who have the most immaculate lawns, some of you, I think I've seen pictures of your lawns. That's some of you in this room. You've got really nice looking lawns. The people who have the, the best looking lawns will tell you this. The best way to prevent weeds from growing in your lawn and overtaking it is to have a lawn that is filled in every place with just thick, healthy grass. Firmly rooted, thick, healthy grass. Because then there there just isn't as much room for those weeds to grow. There's nowhere for them to take root. It's it's the same with our hearts when it comes to sin. Like Demetrius was just alluding to this in his his prayer greeting sermon. I was about to just send you all home. So good. I was just about, that's all we need. But he he was telling you that you, you, you you don't prevent sin simply by trying to prevent sin. You prevent sin by looking at Jesus, by filling your heart with what should be there. And if we're not consistent in, in putting our hearts in a place where we can see Jesus, what do you think is going to happen? Well, you know what's going to happen. Can I, can I ask you this? What, what, what do you think it means practically? What, what does it mean for us to not let God's words, verse 21, not let them escape from our sight? What, what might it look like, practically speaking? Let's just take a, a given day, a 24-hour period. What would it look like today for you and for me to not let God's word escape from our sight? Whatever he's communicating to you most, even from just this moment, what would it look like for you to not let that thing escape from your sight for the rest of the day? And again, we, we try not to be legalistic about things like this, right? But, but hopefully you'll agree. I think at a minimum, it's, it's not too much for us as Christians to expect of ourselves and each other to say, every day we need to give our hearts a chance to interact with God through His Word. Every day. To not let it escape our sight. That's how we're going to give ourselves the best chance to have the sort of heart that God wants us to have. It's His Word. It's His Word that begins to wash and cleanse us. And if we're not consistent in putting our hearts in that place where we can see Jesus from His Word, we're just not giving ourselves the best opportunity to be who God wants us to be that day. We have to start to learn practically, learn, really learn, not just intellectually, but learn in a life-changing kind of way. What does it mean for me to not let God's word escape my sight? I, I have had many days where I've let God's word escape from my sight. Right? And if we go too long, long periods of time like that, it, again, you begin to notice I'm more irritable. 
I'm more selfish, self-focused. I'm, I'm, I'm not as sensitive anymore to, to the way I'm using my words. I'm, I'm falling into anger-filled thinking. I'm insulting various people. I'm, I'm not forgiving others as quickly. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. We've let God's word escape from our sight. Lord, help us to return to a place where your word more readily is available to us. It doesn't escape our sight and it, it remains in our hearts. God wants us to guard our hearts from within by what we put into it. Secondly, he wants us to guard our hearts from the outside by what we keep out of it. Verse 24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. And I, and I think certainly the emphasis here is on our own crooked speech and devious talk. But, but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing any harm here to the principle <clears throat> if, we, if we added to this other people's crooked speech and devious talk. Things that we hear. Put those things far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. I won't say too much about this, but on the speech issue, because we, we, we've, we've done really well, I think, with this in past weeks, Shelby, Tim Abbott, I mean, just, we've covered this a lot. But there's, there's a, an interesting difference between the crooked and the devious that we see here in, in this passage. And the crooked tends to focus mostly on things that are twisted or, or noticeably false. The devious talk here, I think, even includes things that might technically be true but they're still intended to mislead. Give you one example from my own life. So let's say I'm, I'm gonna show up late for something, be late. Um, I already know I'm gonna be late. But then all of a sudden I discover, ah, something's wrong with my, my front tire here. That's not why I'm late. But of course, when I show up, I say, I'm sorry, guys, you know, something happened with my tire. Devious talk. Intended to make you believe that's why I showed up. No, that's not why. So instead of taking responsibility for that and putting it on myself, I put it on my tire. Well, I can't transfer my sins to my tire. My tire can't save me. That tire can barely keep air in it, right? You, we're supposed to transfer our sins onto Jesus. That's our Savior. We're not supposed to shift it onto some other person or our tires, right? But yet, there, there are times where I find myself doing this kind of devious thing. But I'm 46 years old by now. I mean, when, when am I going to figure this out? I've... I've I've been walking with the Lord for 25 years now, and it's long enough for me to realize I'm always going to be contending with my sin. But I, I also understand now it does not have to dominate my life, and it does not have to surface as often as it, as it does. Because the Holy Spirit is really able to help us. And the more I am filled with His Spirit and His Word, the more... I'll begin to reflect his grace and his character. And that's, that's what I want. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for all of us. So we want to we put crooked speech and devious talk away from us. Let your eyes, verse 25, look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. You know what happens? You know what happens when you 
let your eyes look straight forward and your gaze be straight ahead of you? It's a terrible way to play soccer. Just thinking of it. You're always supposed to be scanning when you're playing the game of soccer because you want to know where the ball is. Right? You want to know where your nearest two passing options are before you get the ball. You want to know where the defenders are. You, you need to know where the open space is in case you need to escape and dribble and, and do something else so that you have time to do something else. Right? But, but it's a great way to go through life. Let your eyes go straight before you. You know what happens when you do that? Someone who walks and, and keeps their, their focus this way actually sees fewer things. We need to see fewer things today. I'm gonna take a page out of Pastor Shelby's book. I'm not gonna tell you exactly what that means for you and how you should do that. We have opinions about that stuff. But it's the fool who cares too much about sharing his own opinion. But I, I will say this, I, I think we would be greatly helped if we saw fewer things. More of the right things, yes, but fewer of most of the things that I think we access through this. Ponder the path of your feet, verse 26. And I think, again, we don't do any damage to the principle if we say, ponder the path of our hands. And then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Fill your heart with God's word. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you hear. Be careful where you go. And be careful what you see and look at when you get there. And, and as we begin to close, which is different than actually closing, but as we begin to close, <laughs> we, we spent most of our time talking about how to protect the hearts that we currently have. What we haven't really talked about so much is what kind of heart we currently have. Sinful, yes. We, we've talked about that. We all, we all have hearts that are vulnerable and susceptible to the kinds of dangers that we just talked about and focused on. But it's not true that all of us have new hearts in the way that the Bible talks about it. Now here, here's, or maybe in this room, maybe that is true. I don't, I don't know everybody's story personally. But here's, here's where I want to turn our attention now. <clears throat> God promises us something better than just our best attempts to improve ourselves. He assesses our hearts. They're deceitful and desperately wicked. Genesis 6-5, God actually looked at, at men before the flood and he said, every thought of their hearts is only evil continually. We haven't improved that much over time. Apart from the grace of God, that's, that's what our hearts are like. God has this deal going on out there. He says, I will give you a new heart. Here's how he said it through the prophet Ezekiel. Chapter 36, <clears throat> verse, 26, verse 26 through 27. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God performs, performs a sort of spiritual surgery here. This hard heart that is 
unresponsive to him. That does not want to submit to him. That does not want to and cannot obey him and walk in his ways. He says, I'm going to take that out and I'm going to replace it with one that is soft, a heart of flesh. One that is responsive to my voice. One that wants to honor and obey me. One that wants to walk in my ways. He changes the heart. He goes in, changes the heart. He puts his spirit within us. This is what he means. Same thing. Changing your heart. Put my spirit within you. And then you will begin to desire the life that I desire for you. And that's the order of it. God replaces the heart and then you want to obey and honor. Well, how, how, how does that happen? How do we, we get his spirit put into us? Well, it's, it's when you come to his son, Jesus. And you begin to believe, you begin to agree with God, everything he says about Jesus. You agree with what God says about us. Apart from his grace, we're separated from him because of this sin. The evidence of this sin is, is littered all throughout our lives. Apart from God's grace, we are separated from him and we deserve the judgment that he will ultimately pour out upon his enemies. All those who rebel against his rightful authority. You begin to agree that you cannot fix yourself. You, you know that he sent Jesus into the world and that Jesus, the only pure heart that ever lived and walked this earth, he lived a perfect life and then he offered that life up for you and for me on the cross. He died and God raised him from the dead three days later. Proving that he accepted the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. And you begin to trust all of that. And you believe, God moves your heart to believe that what Jesus did is sufficient. It's good enough to make everything right between you and God. And, and without maybe even understanding fully why you believe all these things, you do and you can't deny that you believe them. There are people right next to you who can't make themselves believe these things and you can't make yourself not believe them. That's where God's brought your heart. Some of you might be there right now. You can't talk yourself out of believing in Jesus. Peter said it this way, though, though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with this inexpressible and, and glorious joy. And you're sensing that in your heart. Well, then you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, that's becoming my favorite word. You surrender your life to Him. Past, present, and future. And you say, Lord, I trust that as bad as I've been, you can and you will forgive me. I, I trust that even though I don't think I'm as bad as some other people, I still need to be forgiven. And, and you've convinced my heart and I'm here to lay down my life. And say, Lord, you died for me. I now will live for you. Here is my life. Make it what you will. It belongs to you. And, and the Lord looks at that and responds, yes, I will forgive you. Here's a new heart. Here's my spirit. Now walk in my ways. I ask you to do me a favor. Just close your eyes. I'm not going to bring out any toothpicks or anything. Just close your eyes. I'm doing this just to provide some kind of a degree of, uh, I would say, of privacy for those whose only remaining obstacle to coming to Jesus 
is, is this fear of what someone in the room might think. If you are saying, yes, God has moved on my heart and, and I want to surrender my life to Jesus right now, raise your hand. Don't know if I saw any. I might have seen one. You can all open your eyes. I've learned in, in the moment that I can't do anything to persuade someone to surrender their lives to Jesus. But I will repeat one more time the invitation he holds out to all of us. If you've never brought your sins to the cross, if you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus, you can do it today. You can do it today. And I'm telling you, you'll, you'll never do anything better than that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness and grace, your mercy toward us through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we thank you for the promise of a new heart. We thank you for your patience with us. Many of us walking with you for years and still at times just not seeming to show the progress we should in certain areas. We, we trust you to continue your patience with us, to gently lead us toward greater levels of maturity in our walk with Christ. <clears throat> and we ask that, Lord, you would still humbly, humbly we ask that you would use us in the lives of others that you've brought into our life. Help us to, to be ones who can offer them and, and, and just speak to them about this great offer of mercy you have for all of us who will come to faith in you. And we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody say been listening to a message by Raymond Goodland given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.